0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Nancy Regan to the podcast. Welcome back, Nancy.
1: Thank you, James. I'm delighted to be here.
0: So, Nancy, for those that may not be familiar with you, you founded RCMtrainingonline.com. You're active on LinkedIn with your videos. You've had a couple podcasts with me and others in the past. You know, you're all over the place talking about RCM and the benefits it brings. Although super brief, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself?
1: Yes. Uh, thank you, James. So I I gave my technical heart and soul away to RCM 24 years ago. And it's like one of those things in life where it, it was almost like a fluke, but I know it wasn't. It was one of those moments from the universe. I, I was a civilian employee with the Navy, and my supervisor, Fred, called me into his office and said, um, Nancy, we've been tasked from above to do reliability centered maintenance on our equipment because we've got to reduce maintenance. So I wrote down, you know, reliability centered, what did he say? I think he said maintenance. So I wrote it down in my notebook and he said, I need you to go figure out what that is and what we have to do to implement it here at Navy Lakehurst. And so um, how was I to know that uh, that this 10-minute meeting on an otherwise ordinary day in August 1997 would set the trajectory for the rest of my life. So that's how I started doing reliability-centered maintenance. So I, I, I feel like it's destiny with me in RCM. Uh,
0: definitely sounds like it. You know, you've worked on a wide range of things. You mentioned the Naval uh, Aviation, if I remember correctly, you did some work on the Chinook helicopters as well, um, plus all the other stuff you do, whether it's uh, private, public, um, the training, the blogs, it, it seems to be part of you.
1: It's definitely part of me and the wonderful thing about RCM is that it can be applied on anything. It, it has its roots in the commercial airline industry um, and so some people still think it's just for airplanes but RCM was always intended to be done on any kind of an asset and, and it can be done on any kind of an asset. It's really a remarkable process.
0: It absolutely is. And you know one of the things that I commonly see with RCM, well, there's a couple things. One, people are scared of it. Um, two, you know, they go through the analysis, but it never really gets implemented. Um, and that's what I kind of want to talk to you today about is not the scary part of it, but the implementation side, because we can do all the analysis we want, but if we don't actually implement the findings or learnings, we're not going to be successful. So, with that being said, what is an RCM implementation?
1: Okay, so I think that if if someone were to hear that term implementation, it would what rings in my mind is carrying through with instituting the results of an analysis. But if I can just backtrack for a second, really RCM implementation begins before the analysis has even started um one way i'd like to describe reliability centered maintenance is this it's like going on a diet so most of us not everyone but most of us have had to lose you know a few pounds and so going on a diet takes will and it takes discipline And in my opinion, losing the weight is the easy part because the will and the discipline is really strong in the beginning. Where you really need your will and discipline to be the strongest is after you lose the weight and you have to now maintain it. You know, you can't go back to your old ways of ice cream every night and sitting on the couch eating tortilla chips, which I'm speaking for myself here with the tortilla chips. Um, So, it, reliability-centered maintenance is this is the same it's the same thing. And I say that implement implementation starts before the analysis even begins, is because number one, you have to make sure that everyone within the organization is on board. Now, usually it starts with a member of management, you know, generally speaking. Oftentimes it's upper management. But if it starts there, that's fantastic because you have to have that buy-in. If it starts there though, it can't be just like, you know, a judge hitting a gavel and saying, okay, now we're all doing RCM. It needs to be, it, it needs to be, um, brought about like, like a team event, right? So then upper management needs to get everyone in, whoever is involved in reliability, which really is operators and maintainers and, um, you know, middle managers and, um, logisticians, people responsible for tech pubs. It's getting everyone involved from the outset, explaining why we're gonna do reliability-centered maintenance, what it is, what its benefits are, and why it's so important that everyone is involved. So that's, that's where it begins because people need to, you know, reliability in general and, and reliability-centered maintenance, it has its own language. So it would be like you and me doing this podcast and we're speaking in Greek, um, but, but we're speaking just to, say, an English-speaking audience. They wouldn't know what we're saying. Well, reliability and RCM is the same way. It has its own language and everyone needs to be on board with understanding it, the, the technology of it, but also understanding why, it's, why RCM is being implemented in the first place.
0: All right, so we got to get everyone on board so they understand why we're implementing RCM. Now, how does that differ from an RCM analysis, because I'm thinking there's some organizations that they're one in the same.
1: Okay, yeah, so, I mean, to me, RCM analysis is, you know, you, you gather a team of equipment experts, let's say we're going to analyze an air compressor, so we're going to need the operator and the maintainer and the systems engineer, et cetera. And we're going to gather them in a, in a room along with the people who would be responsible for validating the results of an OSCEM analysis, which is part of implementation. So those are generally some managers and the, the people responsible for um, the consequences of implementing the results of RCM implementation. we I would have them all in a room at the same time and we would go through an introductory RCM training, class, training course and then we would actually carry out the RCM analysis. We would decide on proactive maintenance tasks and maybe some other default strategies like maybe a recommendation to um, a change to the equipment or beefing up a training program and then From there, uh, you do the RCM analysis and you have this set of recommendations. So that's RCM analysis. Where implementation comes in is now a validation team has to go through all of these recommendations and approve which ones are going to be implemented. But that's oftentimes where RCM falls short, where a great analysis is done, but then the the results are not implemented for you know, a bunch of different reasons. But one is because not everyone was brought on board to begin with. So implementing to me means, okay, now editing the proactive maintenance plan, you know, putting in the, the new tasks, making all of the changes and, and implementing any of those default strategies that may need to be done. Because really we could do the best OCM analysis in the world, but if it sits on a shelf and doesn't make its way to the people who need those results, then it really was a waste of time.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And unfortunately, that's what I see often is organizations do the analysis. Maybe they'll implement, you know, a couple of the findings like updating the, the maintenance plans or those types of things, but all the other stuff they just ignore because that's harder or more difficult and we don't get the full benefits or any benefits from it. Now, with that being said, you said the implementation begins early on in the journey. Now, why do we have to start that implementation before we even start the analysis? You know, when do we start? How do we know when it is time to start that? You know, all those different things.
1: Okay. So, um, well, let's talk about in general when when you would want to do RCM. So reliability-centered maintenance, one of the misconceptions is that you have to do it on all of your equipment. I mean, you don't. And I don't know any organization out there that has the time to do full blown RCM on everything. So you can choose a piece of equipment maybe that's causing you the most pain or where there's a high cost driver. But where what I mean when I say you start really you start implementing before the analysis begins is, you know, we all hear the term reliability culture and really fostering a culture of reliability is making sure people understand what reliability even is. And So if you're going to, if you're going to actively do RCM, then you have to make sure that everyone understands what it is and why it's being done. Now, we talk about like, one thing that sticks out in my mind when you ask me that is I mentioned, you know, sometimes RCM starts with upper management and usually it's because costs are out of control or something like that, right? Because upper management, they're looking at money, for example. So that's, a, that's great support to have because generally that's where the money comes from. But if we don't educate and bring in everyone who's involved from like middle management and like I mentioned, operators and maintainers, well, if they're left out, then implementation is going to suffer because you know, as a general rule of thumb, when you leave people out of something, when, you know, when it comes to implementing something, people are really not that keen, right? They need to know what's in it for them. Um, But likewise, sometimes reliability-centered maintenance starts with, with middle management. And if that's the case, then you definitely need to get upper management involved, right? So it's, it's like really it could start from a few different places, but it's important to get everyone involved. And, and here's something that just came to me because a lot of times people ask me, well, how do you get people on board? And no matter who it is, whether it's an operator or a maintainer, or a middle manager or upper management, the way you get people on board is the same. And it's it's really like a key tenet of negotiation. You know, when you're negotiating with someone, it's important to talk to them in terms of what they want, right? So highlight what the process could do for them. So for example, my, my husband, he he likes, to, um, he likes to race cars as an amateur, not, you know, j- just kind of competing with his own time around a racetrack with a Porsche. And he wanted me to go to the track with him. And although, you know, that would be nice, I mean, really what I'm going to be doing is standing there and just watching cars go round and round. And for an entire weekend, that may, be, may get a little boor- boring. So one day he said, well, you know, why don't you come with me? We can stay at this nice hotel in Birmingham where they've got a great spa. You can come to the track and then you can spend the rest of the day in the spa. And I thought, well, now you're talking my language, right? Because yep. there's something in it for me, right? So ASEAN has something in it for everyone. It really does. It, You know, then the what does the operator want? Well... You know, the operator wants the machine to stop breaking down, right? He he just wants his op- his machine to work. The maintainer wants to be able to proactively do the maintenance he knows needs to be done and wants to be in stop called in the middle of the day or the middle of the night because, you know, the pump just shut down again. And, you know, management, well, they want to meet they want to meet their production goals, for example, and CEOs are looking at the money. So it's just that everyone essentially wants the same thing. They want to get the reliability they need from their equipment, but they're all looking at it from a different perspective. So when you're trying to get people on board, when you're doing RCM or really anything is you have to speak to them in terms of what they want or what they need.
0: Yep, absolutely. You got to figure out what it, the them what's in it for me. Like you said, operators, there's certain things RCM is going to benefit for them. Same thing for management. The storeroom, Uh, quality even is going to benefit from these things. And we need to figure out, you know, what is that benefit for them and talk to them in that way so they get engaged and excited about it.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Now, if we've done that part and we have people engaged, interested, what challenges do you see within organizations as they go to implement the findings from their analysis?
1: Well, so the... The biggest roadblock I see is if people don't understand why the changes are being made. So what we just talked about, well, that would that would definitely solve their problem. Um, I think another issue is I think from a budget perspective and from a time perspective, people have to realize that you know, for example, planners are going to be heavily involved, so they're going to have to budget their their time and their workload and make the space available to get this new stuff implemented, right? Some tech pubs might need to be implemented, uh, might need to be updated. So all that stuff downstream that goes with it it has to be accepted from the outset that there may be some extra workload so i think time is the biggest thing because i i think that to a large degree there are a lot of organizations out there that out there that are still in reactive mode or are in reactive mode to a large degree you know fighting fires and even from a personal perspective, you know, when we're doing that, when we're we're just trying to do the bare minimum, right, all the hot items that have to get done, it's really hard to stop and get proactive. So doing the analysis is one thing, but making the time and the space and the resources available on the tail end, um, that's what I think is one of the, the, the most important things.
0: All right. I absolutely agree. You know, we got to budget those resources for the planners and everyone else who's going to be doing these t- this type of work. Now, why do we? Why do organizations fail to budget for all this extra stuff? Is it, you know, out of sight, out of mind? Is it that they think it could just happen as they're doing their regular day to day job? Why? Why do they fail to do that?
1: Well, I I think, you know, if I go back to the diet where you've you've got to make You've got to make big changes, right? There, there are some big changes that need to be made when you do reliability-centered maintenance, right? Time, money, commitment. You know, reliability-centered maintenance, if I could describe what it is in one word, it. I would say this, it's a philosophy. It is a it is a philosophy, a maintenance and reliability philosophy that is rooted in the reality of failure. In other, in other words, you know, we know that most things don't fail because they get old. We know that you know most failure modes occur randomly, and um, so I think making sure people within an organization really understand the basics of maintenance and reliability. I think that's one of the most important pieces of the puzzle. And so it goes back to implementation starting from the outset, where we don't necessarily just train people who are going to do the analysis, but um, if an organization is going to implement reliability-centered maintenance on a large scale, then eventually, you know, Everyone involved in reliability within the organization needs to be trained on the principles. But I don't wanna say that and make people, cause that's, that can sound really big at first and it can sound really overwhelming. So my number one recommendation would be if you wanted to do reliability centered maintenance, cause so far, you know, we've been, I've been talking about RCM on a, you know, kind of on a grander scale. But my number one recommendation to any organization would be to start off small. And that's how we did it. You know, I started doing reliability-centered maintenance. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, I was a civilian employee with the Navy, with the United States Naval Air Systems Command. And we, we started doing reliability-centered maintenance on aviation support equipment, like mobile electric power plants and tow tractors and mobile air conditioning units. And the way we started was with um, two pilot projects. And one of them, the very first analysis I ever facilitated was an aircraft tow tractor. And the results were so incredible that we decided to do another pilot project, but we, we didn't commit to a full blown RCM program until we had done two or three pilot projects. So I would say that, that just start off small. Don't think that you need to do RCM on everything or implement an entire RCM program. You know, just do train a small team and then based on the strength of that, you know, then then do more if you want to because over time, eventually everyone, everyone will be trained and then people will start to see, hey, you know, well, why is that being changed? Why why are we doing that? And then people start to come around because they see it. And I just, I know this works because with all the organizations that are, that have successfully, successfully implemented reliability-centered maintenance in general and implemented the actual results from individual analyses started that way. Um, I'm really proud to say that that ASEAN program that I started in 1997, it's still going strong today, and that's 24 years later. And that's because we started off small, and we we we, over time we trained people, and people get familiar with the philosophy, and they understand why it's being done, and they they see the awesome results that can be reaped from it. So that would be my my biggest. My biggest recommendation is start off small and don't think you need to do ICM every, on everything.
0: All right. Excellent. I think that is absolutely critical, Nancy. We don't have to do it on everything. And like you said, start on something small, the auxiliary equipment, um, a simple asset, something to get people moving, show some of the benefits, so, and then grow it from there. If we pick the most challenging, complex asset to start with, we're going to lose people because it's going to take time to get there. Um, get the analysis done, get people up to speed on what we're trying to do, all these different things. So I think, like you said, starting small, keeping it simple, growing it is the way to go. This podcast is brought to you by Iridescio. Be sure to check out Iridescio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a Maintenance and Reliability Programme and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com.
1: Yes, it's it's the way to go if you want to be successful. All right.
0: So we, we start small. We grow it. We train people. We start early on with engaging stakeholders, um, various other groups of people. Anything else we need to ensure an ex- a successful implementation?
1: Okay, one thing that comes to my mind is this. I, I often describe ACM as this. OCM is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. So OCM is common sense applied to physical assets. But, and OCM... And can be done relatively quickly and relatively easily, but you know it's it's like I I remember hearing what Einstein when he described what relativity was you know because Einstein was big into if you can just if you can explain something in a simple way then then you can understand the complexities of it and I I remember reading somewhere where he said this is relativity. When you're kissing the most beautiful when you're kissing the beautiful woman that you love for four seconds or holding your hand on a hot stove for four seconds, that's relativity. So when it comes to RCM, the the concepts are they're they're common sense, and they're simple. It's not easy to carry out because people often don't go about it the right way with making sure people are trained. and um another thing is, a lot of organizations maybe just take an introductory course or think they can read a book and then implement it properly. But it's just like anything in life, you know, you really have to have a, a firm understanding about how how it's implemented. So I'd also definitely say don't go it alone. And you know, I know I'm you know I'm an RCM teacher, so that's what I do for a living. but I, I'm not saying that for that reason. It's it's because, um, I've seen it before, you know, and then if you if you try to do it, but you don't really understand what you're doing, RCM gets done badly. And that's why a lot of people think RCM is too hard and it's too complex. It's just because people didn't understand how to, how to carry it out properly.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, it, everyone says it, but it's so true. The technical stuff is the easy stuff. The soft side of this stuff, getting people engaged, budgeting resources helping people through that journey of adoption. That's the really difficult part of a lot of the things that we do, RCM included. Um, And if we get our facilitators, our champions, to spend a little bit more time in those areas, I think we'd have a much better success rate with RCM and all the other tools and techniques we use.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I talk, I, I, I use the term human element. And sometimes, James, sometimes I think that the human element is even more important than the technical element because, you know, when it comes to reliability, we we have to make good decisions about our assets, what kind of proactive maintenance and other actions we're gonna take on it. But we have to remember that it's people, even as advanced as we get, it's people who run organizations and people who take care of machines. And I, and I know we've got sophisticated monitoring devices and industrial internet of things, you know, we've got a lot of advanced stuff, but I think as things get more technically advanced, I think human beings become even more important. The human element becomes more important and understanding the basics of maintenance and reliability get even more important. And um, RCM is jam packed with the basics of maintenance and reliability.
0: Absolutely. Now, what do you believe is the most important outcome from an RCM implementation? At the end of it all, what is that outcome we're looking for? Because there's a lot of different things. You know, you can consider an increase in knowledge of the equipment, how it operates, that type of thing. You could look at reduction in maintenance spend, reduction in risk, improved uptime. There's all these different things. What do you believe is the most important outcome?
1: You know, from what I've seen the most impactful outcome I have seen is how much an organization learns about their equipment. Okay, so um, I've got a great story. Can I tell you this story? Please do. Okay, so I'm facilitating this analysis, and um, it took longer than we had, than I had originally, than I had originally estimated, and it 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 took longer because as we started to do it, it became really obvious that this organization didn't really understand how the equipment worked. You know, like, you know, well, what happens when, you know, this pressure reaches this temperature? Then what happened? There was there was a lot that wasn't known. So when it came to writing failure effects, we spent a lot of time on that. And there was this one guy in the analysis who, he was, he was always very nice, but he was kind of like, you know how you, you're you working with someone and they have almost like a, a very neutral affect or a, a very neutral look about their face where you don't know if they're angry, happy, sad, frustrated, pleased, do you know what I mean?
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Okay, so, so, you know, we're like more than a week into this analysis and, you know, also as human beings, we hear, you know, like we hear the voices that start to beat up on us like, oh, you're doing an awful job. Um, they think you don't know what you're talking about. What are you even doing here? You're wasting their time. I don't know. Do you ever hear voices like this, James?
0: All the time. Yeah. And I think, okay. But I think those are vital because they, they force us to stay current, practice our skills, sharpen our skills, all those different things.
1: Yes, exactly. Sometimes, though, they go on overdrive, and they can leave us frozen if we let them. Absolutely, but that's, that's, that's a whole other podcast. If maybe we could do that one day. That would be uh, that would be um, that would be a lot of fun. So anyway, I got these voices, right? And we were doing this, we were, we were doing, we were writing failure effects and in, in the parking lot, that's what I call like on hold. I had a bunch of things on hold cause we needed to go out to look at the equipment to see how, um, to see, actually see how things, you know, were working. We, we needed to go scope out some stuff. So we're out there and I hear these voices are on overdrive. And I finally said, you know, in my head enough, I have to just ask. So I looked at this guy and I said, so, you know, what do you think about what we're doing? What do you think about RCM? And I, you know, I'm ready for it. This is awful. I'm going to quit after this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he looked at me and he said, you know, Nancy, I've been working on this thing for 25 years and I've learned more in the last week and a half about this equipment that I've learned in the last 25 years. So, I was, I was instantly, of course, relieved and delighted, and it had nothing to do with me. It, it wasn't me. It was, see, when you do reliability-centered maintenance, you analyze one failure mode at a time, or, or in other words, what specifically causes failure. We manage our physical assets at the failure mode level. So with each failure mode, we're writing a failure effect. And so it, it causes an organization to stop and think, okay, so now what happens? So what we uncovered is a lot of the chronic failures because they didn't understand exactly how it worked. You know what I mean? We were able to change some operating procedures on the fly. So we were able to um, get some RCM benefits even before maintenance tasks were implemented. So I guess that was a long way around of, of explaining the story. But one of the most important benefits is that an organization learns so much about a piece of equipment and all that knowledge that you have in a working group sometimes cumulatively you've got you know over 100 years worth of knowledge in the room all of that is formally documented in the analysis and part of that analysis is an fmea or a fmea or a failure modes and effects analysis so you take the knowledge of these people who've been in the field for 20 30 sometimes 40 years and you formally document it so that if they retire or they move on, you've got that knowledge um, you know, now, now memorialized. So that's one of the most important parts of the analysis.
0: I couldn't agree more. I was facilitating an FMEA not too long ago. Um, and in the room we had an operator who's operated that line for 25 years. We had a mechanic who was a mechanic on that line for 25 years. We had another mechanic who was pretty new, only a couple of years. And the conversations between them was absolutely amazing. The operator would say, well, this happens at least five, six times a day. And then I just do this and it gets on, it gets moving or so on and so forth. And some of the mechanics were like, oh, that's, that's the problem here. You just, we'll go adjust this and it'll go away. And like the simple fact that they didn't even know what was causing each other issues was amazing. How the operator cleaned actually caused a maintenance fault when they went to start up and they, they didn't have those connections, but by having those conversations in that room together, they were able to identify a ton of things that were little to no effort to implement, but huge returns quickly.
1: Well, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So you've seen it too, isn't it? And it's so, oh my gosh, it's so, it it's exciting to me and it's heartwarming when I see it because you know, the operator comes with his perspective and experience. And the engineer does, and the maintainer does, but their experience, their knowledge, and it's it's all It's all different, but all of that goes into maintaining this equipment. So, yeah, it's and that's another part about RCM implementation. Is I guess I didn't say it specifically, but I would absolutely recommend a facilitated working group approach, and not just you know one person sitting behind a computer screen doing it. Uh, it's absolutely key. So yeah, I'm delighted to hear that you you see the same stuff, James.
0: Absolutely, and I think you know to your point, that is some of the biggest benefits. Operations realize, you know, what are they doing that's causing maintenance issues? Maintenance realizes what are they doing that's causing operational or quality issues? And they work together to overcome these things, and it's not adversarial. Whereas if you know out of the blue, operations said, "You're doing this," or maintenance says, "You're doing that." then it becomes very adversarial and we don't get ahead. But in that working group where everyone's having open conversations, you can move forward so much quicker.
1: Yes, and that's an excellent word, adversarial. So take what you just said and bring it up a level is what I meant when we first started talking. We're in the beginning. You've got to get everyone on board. You know, if, if it's just the manager saying, hey, we're going to do RCM, and now all of a sudden the operator and the maintainer are in the room you know, they're like, well, what are we here for? It is adversarial because now it they're human beings, right? We all are. Well, now it makes me feel like maybe I'm not so important and my and my opinion doesn't matter. And, you know, operators and maintainers, the, the ones that I've worked with, I mean, they love their machines. They love what they do. And they, you know, they feel personally responsible. So if someone comes along and says, hey, now we're going to change this these maintenance tasks you know that 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 can feel very personal to some people
0: absolutely it can especially if they've developed them over time and the one other thing i've noticed too is they have the preconceived notions at times where everything wears out so you know part of this too is not just educating about the equipment but how do how does equipment fail how can we detect these warning signs and there's that edu- other side of the education piece as well that i find they walk away absolutely amazed at some of the stuff they learned from that, that aspect.
1: Yeah, James, absolutely. Um, it's vitally important that people understand the basics of maintenance and reliability, but within organizations, there are still a lot of people who, who just don't. There's no other way to say it. And, um, you know, OCM is jam-packed with some of those basics, like you mentioned, where you, you know, you talk about how, like, if it's a random failure, well... Uh, you know, we can potentially do condition-based maintenance by detecting potential failure conditions, but that means we have to identify P2F intervals. And see, already there's just a few terms there. It's like the language of reliability. It's very important that people understand the basics because that's what RCM implementation really is, is all about. So it's very important that we promulgate that, that knowledge within an organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Just one of the many benefits that we gain from doing a proper RCM implementation. Now, Nancy, we've talked a lot about this RCM implementation. What we got to do up front, what we got to do afterwards. What is the one action you want our listeners to take away from what we've talked about today around the RCM implementation?
1: The okay, the one thing that I would like them to take away is don't be biased with what you've heard about it learn what reliability centered maintenance really is for your for your for yourself from a reputable place and then decide for yourself that and don't Think that you have to do RCM on everything. Don't don't get overwhelmed that you have to start an RCM program. Just start off small. Just take the first step with figuring out what it really is all about in the first place. Just take small steps, but keep taking those steps. That's what I would like people to walk away with.
0: I like it. Just start learning, take those steps, start slowly like we've talked about. Excellent words of wisdom. Now, Nancy. Oh, first off, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about RCM implementations. But where can people find out more about you, your training, events and activities, all those great things that you're doing?
1: Okay, they can just go to rcmtrainingonline.com. And if you want to take my free course on RCM, just go to rcmtrainingonline.com/training. Mm-hmm. And I'm also really active on LinkedIn. So if we're not already connected um, for anyone listening, I would be um, delighted to be a connection with you.
0: All right, perfect. I will make sure to put links to all those in the show notes so people can easily find you and get in touch with you. All right, Nancy. So one of my favorite questions to ask all the listeners, do you have any resources that you want to share with our listeners that may provide them some insight, inspiration, or something to help with? You know this topic or anything that they're working on
1: yes one of my favorite books is think and grow rich by napoleon hill um embodied in that book is a formula that if we do it pretty much as human beings we can achieve anything we want to do so i would say um definitely check out that book it's more of like the human side to things as opposed to the technical side of reliability but it definitely applies
0: absolutely it is a fantastic book i have a copy on my shelf here um you do i do i i read it every couple years reread it so mm-hmm. you know it's been about two years since i read it so i'm probably gonna have to pull it back out and go through it again but it is a fantastic book
1: and don't you don't you learn something new every time you read it james
0: i do and what's amazing if is, is that you know he wrote this book a long time ago but the principles are still timeless they still hold true to this day. So every time you read it, you take something new away and it's something new that you can still apply.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: Well, Nancy, I want to thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us today about RCM implementations. I definitely got some more to think about how, imp- how I implement RCM and some of the various other uh, tools out there. So I definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, James. I I was delighted to be here. Thank you, everyone, for your time and for listening. Have a great day.
0: I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on Maintenance Reliability and Asset Management at www.irrideshield.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing the small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.